morning. I'm Emily and Will and I are so thankful that you have decided to join us here at Lindsay Lane North where we are in the community for the community. If today is your first time visiting, please fill out the Connect card you have received in your bulletin and drop it in the offering bucket on your way out the door today. One of our pastors will personally reach out with a call, text, or email this week to thank you for visiting and to see how we can minister to you. If there's anything we can do for you while you're here, stop by our Next Steps table and someone will be happy to assist you. We hope you have a wonderful day and enjoy the service. Hello, my name is Coach James Wimberly. I am here today to baptize Joe Morgan. Um, known Joe for several years, love him to death. Me and him uh, probably shared a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but mostly we shared a lot of prayers. I can't think of anything that, that honors me more to be able to do this. Uh, when he called me, I was without hesitation, yes, absolutely, I'll do it. Um, I want y'all to uh, pray for Joe um, as he embarks on probably the roughest journey, the teenage years in college and things like that, and, and a lot of us get grown and in our own lives and we don't understand what that takes out of a kid, but it's, it's rough. So Joe. Joe, have you taken Jesus as your personal Savior? Yes, sir. Okay, it's an honor for me to baptize you, Joe Morgan, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Love you, buddy. All right, well, welcome this morning. It is good to have you with us in our 1030 service. Uh, that is so cool. I love seeing baptisms. We've got a few more coming up in the next couple of weeks. It's, it's been really neat. We have one last week, this week, and then I think we've got a couple more happening this month. So, hey, that's awesome. God is moving and God is working. He is alive and well today. Let's go ahead and stand, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to begin this morning in worship. I encourage you to take this time. If you have not prayed, I want you to pray. I want you to seek the Lord, I want you to surrender and turn things over to the Lord so that we can worship together. Let's pray. God, we're thankful, Lord, just for a time to come to you, Lord, to bring our worship to you. Lord, I pray that it would minister to you this morning as, our, as we sing praises, God, as we lift our voice, and God, as we lift our hearts, I pray that you would be glorified. Lord, we give you this time. We celebrate with Joe and God, the decision that he's made, God, just to, to get his baptism in order. We thank you. God, for his obedience, and, and Lord, I pray for each person in here that as we obey today, you would move us, you would have freedom in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you and every fear I lay at your feet. I sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. about how powerful and awesome our God is.
name of Jesus this morning. We, we've talked about it in the first service, and we've talked about the power in his name this morning in these songs so far in this service. And I just want to encourage you that wherever you are, his power can change your life. His power has changed my life. He's given me victory over stuff. And God can give you victory over the same stuff and your stuff as well. None of us are perfect. So I want to encourage you to surrender to Jesus today, to give him all of your worship as we sing this. name that we could ever lift up, the name of Jesus, who breaks chains, God, 
who changes lives, who saves us from an eternity away from you. Lord, we thank you for the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. We thank you for that power that can live inside of us today through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for people in here, God, that are bringing in lots of burdens, that are bringing in chains, that are bringing in bondage, and they're coming in from all different places. And Lord, I just pray for people today, Lord, that your spirit, as you move and as you work, that God, these people, myself included, that we would all surrender our burdens to you, Lord, that we would cast our cares on you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your spirit. And Lord, we just pray that you would have freedom in this place. As one of my best friends and our pastor shares his heart this morning on a tough topic. Lord, I pray for him that you would speak through him, that God, you would have your way in this place today. We give you praise and God, we give you glory for what you're going to do. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We are continuing our series on the untouchables. If you are visiting us here at North, man, we are so thankful to have you worship with us. Uh, if it's your first time here, we've got a gift for you. And the next steps table as you leave today, uh, before you walk out the door, we've got a gift for you. We want to get in your hands. We appreciate you choosing to worship with us today. Uh, we've got a very difficult uh, topic today as we go through these untouchable series. There's a lot of reasons why many of these topics are untouchable. Many are because they're difficult to understand, right? And so, so they're difficult to interpret, and so they're untouchable. Uh, many are untouchable because they're divisive. They're issues that have divided the church and currently divide the church. And then there's issues like today, where today we are talking about pornography and private sexual sin. And I believe the reason why many of these topics are not discussed are because they are really, really close to us. Uh, there are thing, they are things that we struggle with. There are things that, we, that are difficult for us. And many of us, they're tied to our testimony. They're tied to our story of who we are. And so I want you to understand on the forefront that I do not preach this topic because for any, any other reason than I know that God has led me here. A lot of prayer has gone into this. And I'll be honest with you, I'm as nervous as I've ever been to preach to my church family as a result of the topic at hand, because of what God has shown me through this very struggle. And so I'm talking about something today that's it's very near to my heart because it's been where I'm at, it's, it, it's where I've been. 
And I truly believe this to be the case. I truly believe that, that the big guns of Satan's arsenal are focused on the private sexual sin in many men and women's lives. I believe that to be true. And I've had people ask me before, like, you know, what, when they're trying to guess what my next topic is going to be for untouchables, people do that. And they're trying to anticipate my move. If you just follow me on Facebook, you'd know because I put them all out there. Uh, but, you know, they, they're trying to guess, man, are you gonna, what are you, you going to talk about? And they know that, you know, sexuality in some point is going to be hit. So you don't talk about homosexuality and some of these issues. And to that, I would say, I will talk about that. I don't believe, however, that it meets the criteria. I believe in a lot of ways, homosexuality becomes the scapegoat for a lot of private sexual sin that we don't talk about in the church. And it's easy for us to point at one sexual perversion, which is sin, and say this is wrong all the while as the church we are harboring our own shame and crippled in our own guilt on things that are a little closer to us. And so this is where we're headed today. Uh, we need to understand the pervasiveness. Our world is saturated with sexual sin. They are, it, is sex, it, is, it is a very sexually motivated culture. We live in a world where you cannot escape these things. Uh, it's everywhere that you go. Internet access is growing. As you'll see in my own testimony, internet access is a major thing. It is things that were very, very, in, you had to be very, very intentional to access at one point in history are now literally at the ends of our fingertips and behind any locked door. And so because of these things, we need to address them because I believe it to be the thing that many churches stay away from. And ultimately, I believe that many churches like your pastor have a history with it. And so we need to understand what we're dealing with. In 2011, 8 in 10 men, 79% between the ages of 18 and 30, viewed pornography, pornography monthly. Now, 2020, this was not 2021, this was 2020 study, it's 84%, and it's not monthly, it's weekly. In 2011, two-thirds, 67% of men between the ages of 31 and 49 viewed pornography monthly. Now, it's three-quarters, 74%, and they view it weekly. One half, 49% of men between the ages of 50 to 68 view pornography monthly in 2011. That number has grown to 55% and they access it weekly. In 2011, 17% of women were regular users of pornography. The study was different, so the stipulations were different. It wasn't split up in monthly and weekly. While now the numbers have risen as high as 30 to 35% are what they would consider regular users of pornography. The saturation level is alarming for obvious reasons. But I am just as concerned with how silent the church has been on it. To have this many people struggling with this big of an issue and for pastors to not address it in this type of forum to me is absolutely a neglect of leadership 
I'm not throwing stones in it. I can only lead the way that God has called me to lead. But I believe I would be remiss not to lead by example. So today, I want to be as vulnerable as I've ever, I've ever been as a pastor. I want to demonstrate to you the seriousness of what we're dealing with. But I don't want to leave it there. I don't want the story to end with shame. Because ultimately, God can bring freedom. Check out this video. So I was exposed to pornography for the very first time when I was in middle school. I remember being over at my grandmother's house. She was the first person in all of our family that had had a computer. And I remember going over there to do some research for a project that we had. And as I was doing research, a pop-up came up on the right side of the computer. And, and from that one click, I began a struggle in my life that I would battle with for years to come. So back then in those days, internet wasn't everywhere like it is today. And I think that probably masked and allowed me some excuse that this issue wasn't as big of an issue as it really was. Over the course of time, my parents eventually, we got a home PC, but it was in a very central location in our house. And so I'd have to choose opportunities when my parents would be away, I was left at the house alone. But every time that I was left in that circumstance, almost without fail, I found myself going back to that sin over and over again. So later on in my high school and early in my college years is really where things got really tough for me internet became more and more available and as i went off to college i had the perfect and dangerous blend of independence to do whatever i wanted i had the access to internet to access whatever i wanted uh, and then i almost had zero safeguards to keep me from that i had no accountability and had no filtering that kept me from these places and so the sum total of all of that was a lifestyle of sin, uh, although I always, and I've maintained through this, that I had a hatred for this sin, uh, it, it was a deep struggle. I, I can remember very vividly in church uh, going and, and crying at the altar and, and praying that God would remove this sin from my life. I, I hated it, but every time it was the sin that easily beset me as a person. And every time I would go back to it over and over again, sometimes the very night that I would spend time at the altar confessing those sins, that very evening I would find myself going to those same sites. And it just became a vicious cycle for me. As I continued on in my college years, I quickly realized that I wasn't the only one going through this struggle. I can remember teaching a Bible study. I was the dorm chaplain for the University of Mobile. And I remember in a particular Bible study that I had, we began holding each other accountable for things. And, and I'm not kidding when I tell you that every single one of those young men had a similar struggle with private sexual sin. And these just weren't average college age students. I mean, these were students that were attending a private Baptist university 
They were students that had gone out of their way to be involved in a Bible study that was extracurricular. They, had, they didn't have to be a part of it, but they wanted to be a part of it. And many of these young men were guys like me that were going into the ministry. They were, would be pastors and church leaders and missionaries uh, all over the world, and they serve in those capacities today. But I can truthfully say that through the accountability that I found in that small group to begin with, I finally began to see myself take steps away from the stronghold that this sin had in my life. The stronghold that, that pornography had had really from my middle school years. I began to see how my relationship with these men that struggled in similar ways, but I, that I knew were praying for me and that I was praying for them and we were holding one another accountable. I began to see myself beginning to drift further and further away from this sin that had dominated so much of my life. Looking back, the thought was naive and crazy, but I can remember pointing to marriage as the stage of life where this sin would no longer affect me. I, I thought if I, if I had someone to meet those needs for me, then I wouldn't struggle. And, and honestly, I made it a crutch my whole life is looking to marriage as being when God would deliver me from this sin. And I realized that my struggle in this area fed my wife's struggle with insecurity. Something that was freedom for me, accountability was, was such a big deal, has been such a big deal in my life. I've had mentors that hold me accountable, pastor friends that hold me accountable, peers that have held me accountable. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, the sing single greatest accountability partner I've ever had is my bride. She began to pray for me. She began to, to lift me up to the Lord. She began to hold me accountable in some of those areas. I mean, we had some really difficult conversation through those days. But through her, as well as a small group, a very meaningful small group of men that poured into my life on a consistent basis, God began giving me victory over this, although it's still a temptation for me. I've recognized that the further you walk away from your giants, the smaller they become. And so God gave me victory in this area of my life through, number one, a, a quiet time, a, a devotion to Him, but then a commitment to one another and people that were committed to me. Will you join me in prayer? Father, use your word. Use this testimony. God, to bring change to people in this place today. We pray against any way that the enemy would manipulate are used to destroy. God, we pray that you would bring life-changing truth to us today. God, through this story that you've brought me on, this journey you've brought me on, but God, also how you have revealed yourself through your word in this topic. God, it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So it's a little heavier subject today.
But that's my story, my journey through something that has been a major, major thing in my life. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. As we talk about this issue, there's something we need to address right off the bat. Number one, there's a stigma. There's a stigma about this sin. There is something about this sin that causes us to want to run and hide from it. There is something about this sin that has caused me to give more pause to this message than any other message I've ever preached in my entire life. There's a reason. And we, want to, we find it in God's word in Genesis chapter 2. I want you to, to hear this from me. The, same, the shame that is felt in sexuality has not always been there. The discomfort and the recoil that you felt as soon as you heard what we were talking about today, you felt it, you felt it for minutes. I felt it for weeks. The same recoil that you felt has not always been there. Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, let's look at God's design for sexuality. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam was pleased with God's creation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wives and they shall become one flesh. The most telling part of all of this is verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. They were at their most vulnerable and they didn't even realize it. They were, by today's standards, the most scandalous, right? As a kid, right? I always would go in the illustrated Bibles, of, you know, and, and go to Adam and Eve and like, well, how'd they cover up their nudity this time? You know, oh, it's a tree here. Oh, there's a bush. You know, like, like that, that was how we, they just, they always covered it, covered it up. It was, it was a scandalous thing for me. It hasn't always been this way. So if shame exists in the subject of sexuality, then we've got to understand a couple things. Number one, it wasn't placed there by God. This feeling that we feel was not placed there by God. It was not his design from the very beginning. The man and the woman were naked and they were unashamed. So we understand it is the invention of man. It is the invention of man and it is a result of man's sin. So the uneasiness, the jokes, the, the felt need to run and hide when this subject comes up, the taboo of the whole discussion, we see was not present until Genesis chapter 3. So turn there to Genesis 3, and we see what happens. Genesis 3, verse 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was men with her. And he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they 
were naked. And immediately they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I find this so interesting. God had not showed up yet to walk with them in the cool of the day. He had not showed up to levy all of the consequences of what they had just done. Before that conversation ever happened, immediately it was the intent and it was the desire of man to hide their sexuality. They sewed fig leaves together. They immediately addressed this issue. And so the man and the woman sewed loincloths, clothing to cover their nakedness from each other. But then they took it a step further. Because do you remember what God told them, asked of them, when he was looking for them? Number one, he said, Adam, where are you? Now, God knew exactly where they were, as we've discussed before. But Adam was hiding. So he was hiding his nakedness from his wife through the loincloth. And then he was hiding from God because of his situation. And you remember the second question he asked him? Who told you that you were this way? Who told you there was shame involved in this nakedness? You see, I didn't create you this way. This is something that you've done. This was the first indicator that something had gone awry. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. This is an issue. If this is the first thing that Adam and Eve dealt with after sinning, it needs to be something that we deal with. And so I stand before you today telling you my story, preaching to you God's word, because before even the consequences of the fall were officially levied by God to man and to all creation, the indicator was to hide themselves. And I think if we're not careful, that's exactly what we continue to try to do. I think God is roaming a lot of churches. And he's asking the same question he asked Adam. Where are you? Man, I want to use you. I want you to be an effective tool in my kingdom. But where are you? Are you? Because this is an area that we've hidden away. But God hasn't left us without hope. We hide it away in shame. And listen, it's shameful. There, the, the, the sin, the, there is guilt involved in our sin. And without Christ, we remain in shame. This is the point. This was the fall. Before God intervened, they remained in shame. They were covered in fig leaves and they were hiding from God. They didn't want to see, they didn't want God to see them this way. But God made a solution for sin. Genesis 3, verse 21. Gosh, this is so good, y'all. So good. This is why you study God's word, you don't just read it. This is why you take a spade shovel and you dig a little deeper. And then you get some post hole diggers and you dig even deeper than that. This is why you get an auger and they dig even deeper than that. 
Man, this is good stuff. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. In order to remove the skin of an animal, what do you have to do? You've got to kill it. This is the first sacrifice that we ever see to cover sin. This is a precursor to the law that they would... When someone would sin, they would make a sacrifice for sin. They would cover sin. Adam and Eve sought to cover and hide themselves. And in their shame, they still couldn't do it. They couldn't hide from God. They couldn't hide from one another. They couldn't get away from each other. They were just stuck in shame. Until God in his mercy, after giving them some really bad news... Bad things happened as a result of their sin. But through it all, we see God's grace. And he covered their shame. Their sin was known. And their sin was addressed. But God covered their shame. Ultimately, the issue of pornography. This is one thing. Private sexual sin. But I'm specific about it because it's not specifically addressed often. It's one issue. But it is not our major issue. Our major issue isn't that we look at things that we shouldn't. Or we take in things that we shouldn't. Our major issue is it is a, that is a symptom of a greater rebellion in our life. We are placing ourselves diametrically opposed to God. It's not in our sin. It's in our sinfulness. It's a heart issue. It's down deep rooted in who we are. Many of us can look at this issue and the shame that it's generated. And man, we can get into such discouragement. Man, we can get discouraged. As I referenced in my testimony, man, crying at the altar, legitimately, y'all, remorseful for my sin. But then returning back to it. I remember being so discouraged, thinking that there was no way that I would ever get out of this. And how could God continue to forgive me time and time and time again? We, we can be in this sin and get discouraged But just as God made a sacrifice and provided a temporary covering for Adam and Eve, which was prophetic of a temporary covering that he would would bring in the law that would cover sin time and time again. So they had to go back to another animal again and again and again. Hey, lamb, you didn't do anything, but you got to go because I did, right? And time and time and time again, they would return to these animals and temporarily cover sin. This is not the point of Scripture. This is point. Pointing to the point. Because in the same way that God provided a sacrifice for sin, the story of the Old Testament would continue to point to a time when God would not cover us with the skins of animals, but He would cover us with His Son's blood. And if you think the covering God made for Adam and Eve was good news, I've got better news for you. Because in Christ, your sin isn't just covered, it's done away with. It's cast away. 
And so I had to reconcile in my mind as your pastor that this shame that I felt in this subject was indicative of something that happened in a form, as a former self. In my sin, I had shame, but I'm not in sin anymore. Christ has forgiven me for that. And so there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He didn't just cover my shame. He did away with it. And now my shame, what was once my shame, is now my story. Not of my power, but of his. There is freedom at the foot of Christ. And I don't want you to think because you have gone to this time and time again because this is something that you just a habit you can't quite kick or any sin in your life. My wife will be will be sharing her testimony next week through video where she details a battle that she went through that doesn't get talked about a ton. But I don't care what it is, your sin doesn't disqualify you from God's grace. That's the beauty of the New Testament. That's the beauty of what Jesus did for us. He doesn't argue for mine and your merit. He argues his substitute. No, Alan will never be righteous. So let me give you him my righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So that we could be the righteousness of God. Don't miss the last preposition. In him. My friend, if you are outside of a relationship with Christ, all you've got to enjoy is your shame. It's your shame. It's yours and it's yours to deal with. And by the way, I don't care how hard you tried to hide it and cover it up. It ain't happening. But God has given freedom. If you struggle in this area of life, I, don't want you to, I want you to know that you have not forfeited your place at the feet of Jesus. The initial feeling to run and hide is as old as Eden, but God has made a way for you to be forgiven. He's made a way for you. The solution for sexual deviancy of any kind or deviancy of any kind in our generation, in our churches, and in our very own bodies as God's temple has and will forever be Jesus. What I pray in my story is that you don't see me, but you see the end result of where God brought me. You see Jesus. As we respond in faith to him, we will always be met by grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. But he didn't just clothe them. He did something else for them. Thirdly and finally, let's look at the support through sin. God didn't leave Adam and Eve without accountability. Now, accountability looked different because they were the only people on the earth, right? Well, we blew it. There's no plan B. Like, great. Well, now what? Genesis 3.24 tells us that God appointed an angelic being. He appointed a cherubim to guard Eden with fiery swords, which seemed really cool to me as a kid, like fiery swords. And he did it 
as much to keep them from the presence of God as they did for their own protection. Remember, we talked about this many weeks ago in the Start Here series. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. They chose not to be to partake of the tree of life, which was life uninterrupted, unfettered, unhindered with God. Knowing God intimately, instead they chose to be God themselves. They chose to know right and wrong. They chose to be the determiner of truth for themselves, superficially. When they took a bite of the fruit, the Bible is very clear in Genesis 3, 24. Look back. He wasn't ju- the cherubim wasn't protecting the whole Garden of Eden. He wasn't protecting the people of Israel from good things. He was protecting them from the tree of life. Why? So that they would not, in their sin, eat of the tree of life. And because they ate of the tree of life in their sin, they would live forever separated from God. They say he saved them. From their self. Because he knew they'd be coming back. Time and time again. So God gave divine accountability. Divine accountability through this cherubim. In the same way, you heard me say, when there were no safeguards and there was no accountability, I love what my mentor says, I can think I'm as spiritual as I want to, but I'm always one step from stupid. You know, it is my goal in repentance and how I view my repentance before God for my sin to always make it harder for me to sin. I don't want to be one step from stupid. I want to have to crawl over people before I get to stupid. Does that make sense? I want people in my life that are holding me accountable about things that matter instead of just how many fish I caught or who won the ball game. I want accountability. And I'll tell you this. I would have never seen any victory if I hadn't included crucial people in my life. But that's a biblical concept. And more than that, it's a New Testament concept. Look at James chapter 5. James 5 verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. I believe in the healing power of prayer and the anointing on of oil. I've seen healing happen. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, Well, see, now this is curious because now I don't feel like we're talking about healing anymore. Now we're talking about sinning. But he goes on. If he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. If this sickness or this thing is a result of his sin, this difficulty is a result. And let me just tell you, y'all, if there is any proof that you need, I am proof that God will put difficulty in your life to get your stinking attention. If he's committed sin, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, if you are studying God's word and you are diagramming this passage of scripture, everything that he has said previously is driving to this point in the Greek. Confess your sins one to another and pray 
for one another that you may be healed. The greatest context of this passage of Scripture is not necessarily always in physical elements. It's not in physical sickness. It's in sin sickness. We need accountability. James was written to the church. We need constant accountability. We need people praying and lifting us up. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I've got a lot of accountability in my life. I have presently got a lot of accountability in my life. For most every area that I can think of that I fail. The news is not always good, but I'm always held accountable. My parents were one of the greatest accountability partners I ever had. Yep, that's as awkward as it sounds. But they were. There's nobody that's more invested. Teenagers, students, kids. There's nobody more invested in your life than your parents. Not yet. My peers, I'm so thankful for men of God right now that I'm pursuing Jesus with that hold me accountable and ask me the hard questions. I truly believe if I didn't have that, when I'm weak, I'd return right back to it. One step from stupid, y'all. Thirdly, probably better than any accountability partner I've ever had and probably the sum, better than the sum total of all of the ones previously is my wife. Yep, also awkward. Remember I said, parents, never going to find someone more invested? My wife trumped that. Why would I not entrust the person that I trust more than anyone else in the world to be my greatest accountability partner in this area when I know the level of love she has for me and I know her commitment to me? Why would I not give her the chance to be that for me? And she's absolutely been that. Absolutely in every area. And so, instead of viewing repentance as, God, I'm sorry, and then never changing lifestyle, but just trying to grit and bear it for as long as we can, men, women, it ain't cutting the mustard. Repentance means in faith, not just confessing to God, but confessing to others to make it harder for us to get back in it. The writer of Hebrews talks about this all the time. He talks about this a ton. In Hebrews, uh, Hebrews specifically Hebrews 6, he talks about restoring the brethren, right? He talks about not falling away from the truth, not crucifying Christ over again, right? Going to these people, being the hands and feet of Christ, right? Bringing restoration and confessing your sins. And so what from the beginning, as soon as we fail, was filled with shame God had never intended and if you are in Christ, God intends for you to live without that shame as well. That doesn't mean we ignore it. It means we acknowledge it and in freedom we make sure we stay free. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And by the way, that goes far beyond just the area of sexuality. It goes far beyond private sin. 
to every area of our life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I, I don't know. I don't know what God's laid on your heart to do in this circumstance. All I see is a lot of sin that has crippled the church for far too long. I know what my freedom in Christ means to me in this area. I know what it means. And to know and to bear the thought that there are men and women that I love and care for in this place under the sound of my voice right now that don't know that freedom. As a pastor, it's one of the most tragic truths that I could ever encounter. God has granted freedom and we've chosen to live in slavery. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. It doesn't define you anymore. Your shame has been removed. Repent in faith and see God's grace. See God's grace. Father, thank you for your message. God, may shame not be the end of the story for us. You have called us to so much more. I just think with anticipation of what your church could be if we would lay down every weight. We would take a cue from the writer of Hebrews and we would, in fact, lay down every weight, every single one, private, public, and everywhere in between. We would lay down every single weight that easily besets us and we would run with endurance the race set before us. God, the stakes are too high. People are dying and going to hell. And we're stuck living in shame that your son died for. God, may me not cheapen Calvary by being cavalier about our struggle. But God, I pray that we would experience freedom today. And this invitation, whatever that means, I may you be brought glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we sing, I want to clarify something. I don't think that every that your response should be submitting a uh, video of your interview about your struggles with whatever sin that you have. Can I be clear about that? This is something that God led me as the pastor of this church to. But somebody needs to know. Somebody does. You need prayer warriors in your life. This is bigger than you, and it's time that we admit it and experience God's freedom. However you need to respond to God's grace, I pray that you would do it in this time of invitation. As we stand and as we sing, There's counselors who love to talk to you. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Christ right now, man, absolutely, you need need that relationship. You're going to conquer whatever sin in your life. You've got to have that relationship with him. So maybe you need to respond in obedience and, and surrender to Christ today. 
Or maybe you need to join a church family that's going to hold you accountable in these areas through membership. Maybe you need to do that. Whatever the case may be, maybe you need to, maybe you need to intercede for somebody. Boy, how bold would that be on a message like this? That you're interceding for somebody that you know that's dealing with this. This invitation is for you to respond as the Spirit leads you. In these next few moments, would you respond to Him as we sing? Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow in heaven. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Lay it down. Would you lay it down in this time? So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Oh, So lay down your hurts, lay down your hearts, come as you are. Will you pray with me? Father, this invitation may come to a close, but I am so thankful that your invitation never does. So God, I pray for the one, Lord, that is struggling with this issue or others. God, for whatever reason, Lord, there is a barrier that's keeping them from responding. God, I pray that you would move in their heart, God, in their life to let somebody know. God, those connect cards. God, a way that they can let somebody know about any decision that they need to make. Let us as the pastors know about what's going on in their heart and life and that we can find accountability, God, in those areas by grace through faith. And God, as is the nature with this message often, the true time of response is not going to be found in these four walls going to be found when we leave. God, I pray for hard conversations to be had. God, I pray for intentionality to seek out mentors, Pauls and Barnabases, Timothys that people can pour into as they have a similar testimony. God, that we would all grow and respond to your incredible word today. Lord, I thank you for providing the covering for my sin, past, present, and future so that I can live a life outside of shame and forgive me, God, when I make it about myself. God, may we leave 
where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. Thank you for this truth, God. As we continue to respond to you, you long after we're dismissed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. If you're watching online, I want you to know there's a way for you to respond as well. If you'll look on the initial post, there's a way for you to respond uh, through our Connect card. Let us know anything the Lord's doing in your heart, and we want to follow up with that as well. All right, with that, y'all can be seated. Got a couple of announcements, and we'll be dismissed. Good morning, North family. It's Joseph. I've got a couple things for you before we leave. First, our women's ministry luncheon is happening on July 24th at 12 p.m. This is a free event for ladies of all ages, so please sign up by next Sunday, July 18th. You can do this by following the link in your bulletin or stop by the next steps table. Next, we have our Tuscaloosa mission trip coming up July 31st through August 1st. We're helping our mission partner down in Tuscaloosa with a block party and assisting their mobile church service on Sunday morning. The only cost is hotel and food, and there are only four spots left, so sign up today if you want to come. And finally, we're changing our childcare options starting in August. We'll offer full preschool and children's church during both our 9 and 10.30 service times. Our vision is to create two identical service options that are ideal for any family to attend. But this can't happen without extra volunteers, so consider signing up to help. That's all we have for today. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you all for joining us today. Man, it's been a good Sunday here at North. I want to thank my pastor and my friend, Alan, for sharing. God delivers victory uh, even in any situation. Uh, that victory is available for us through Christ. Um, if you're a guest with us today, thank you so much for joining us. You should know we do not ask our guests to give in cash or check, uh, but this is the time in the service where those who are members here do uh, exercise faithfulness in tithing and offering back to the Lord. Uh, so if you came prepared to do that, there's an envelope in the chair back in front of you. You can use that. There's a couple other ways you can give. You can text North Give to 31996. You can also give online at lindsaylanenorth.org. For those of you watching on the live stream, you can always mail cash or check to the address at the bottom of the screen. All right, that is it for today. Make sure and stop by the Next Steps table on your way out. Uh, find out how you can get signed up for our mission trip, our ladies' luncheon, our men's ministry that meets tonight, or any of our other ministries we have here at North. Y'all are dismissed. <laughs>